Come on, everybody at all campuses, against all odds. We thought it would be fun to look at some of the underdog stories in the Bible. Who doesn't love a good underdog story? That's why we love <laughs> this movie right here. Check this out. How many of you have seen this movie, Rocky, right? How many of you have seen all 38 Rockies? You've seen all of them. Yeah, no, there's not. But it, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, this thing just caught on. And this is an underdog story. Look at the tagline. His whole life was a million to one shot. That's an underdog story. And what a great way to start a series about underdogs in the Bible. But here's the thing. If you know the story behind this underdog story, it gets even better. In the 1970s, Sylvester Stallone, pictured here with his dog, was a struggling actor. He was trying his hand at screenwriting, and he had the idea for Rocky. He wrote out the screenplay, and he tried to offer it to people. He got rejected over a thousand times. He was insisting that he play the starring role. He just felt it. He wanted to be the star in the movie. At one point, someone offered him $135,000 for the script, but you don't get to star in it, and he passed it up. At one point, he is financially struggling to the point that he had to sell that very dog for $40 just so that he could eat some food. Well, finally, uh, a a, a studio offered him a million dollars and said, we'll let you star in the movie. He took that meager budget and he produced the movie, uh, came in under budget because he was able to use friends and family in the cast. Did you know that? And of course, the rest is history. He wins an Oscar and Rocky franchise has gone on to earn $1.7 billion dollars making Stallone one of the highest grossing actors of all time. Folks, that is an underdog story about a guy who wrote an underdog story to introduce a series about underdog stories in the Bible. Somebody give me a fist bump long distance or something. That's preaching fire right there, okay? But wait, after he earned his money, he missed his dog. So he went back to the guy that he sold his dog to for $40, but the guy took one look at this now famous star and said, I'm not giving you your dog back unless it's for $15,000. And Stallone wrote the check right there and bought his dog back. Folks, that is a dog story within an underdog story about a guy who wrote an underdog story to introduce a series about underdog stories in the Bible. Thank you very much. That is... Amazing preaching right there. (laughs) All right, well, let's get on to the Bible, okay? Uh, We're going to be in the Old Testament today, and we're going to look at a story that I would imagine most of you are very familiar with. Uh, You've probably heard this story before. In fact, what I'll do is I'll tell you how we told this story in our family devotions, and I'll let you guess what the story is. The way we told this story, way back when Joey was probably five or six years old, he was the smallest in the family, is we let him wad up some socks into a ball and throw them at dad, where he hit dad in the head right between the eyes and dad fell down in defeat. Now, what Old Testament story are we going to look at today? 
David and Goliath. You've got it. So I'm going to be in 1 Samuel 17, where the story goes like this. You've got King Saul and the Israelite people who are uh, on one side of a valley up on a hill. On the other side of the valley up on a hill are the Philistines. These are the bad guys. And they have a giant named Goliath, a seasoned warrior, a giant of a man. And Israel is scared out of their minds. And along comes this little shepherd boy named David, sent by his father to bring lunch, basically, to his brothers who were the real soldiers. And long story short, he ends up taking on this giant with just a sling and a stone for what becomes an incredible against-all-odds underdog story. Now, we stop right there because we recognize that this is not a story that just happened thousands of years ago. The truth is, is that this is a story that is playing out in many of our lives day after day after day. And if it's not happening to you right now, it will happen to you. There are people among us who are facing giant challenges. Are you with me? There are those who are trying to get past their past. They're dealing with the abuse of the past or decisions that they've made in the past. And and they've got woundedness and they've got shame. And it is just, it is a giant of a challenge to get past that for them. There are people who are watching online, who are sitting here with us. There are people in all of our locations who are dealing with debt that looks like an insurmountable giant of a challenge. And they just have a hard time going to sleep at night because this thing is hanging over their head. There are those of us who have gone to work recently and got a little pink slip of paper. And you are now wondering, what is next? How am I going to pay the bills? How is this going to happen? There are some of you that almost wish you could have the relief of a pink slip of paper because you are dealing with a boss that is just demanding, that is in your face all the time, or you've got a project that is a multi-million dollar project. Everything is on the line and all the pressure is on you, and it is a giant of a challenge. There are those of you who come home from work, And on your drive home, what should be this sort of leaving the stress behind, getting ready to come home to your your home, your oasis, your castle, the place where there is no stress. The truth is sometimes the office is actually the oasis because there is so much strife, there is so much anger, there is so much stress at home. It is a giant of a challenge. And so my hope today is that this wouldn't be a story that just is fun to look at thousands of years ago, but this would be a story that we recognize can give us hope for the challenges that we face today, the very real challenges that we face today. Now, when we talk about David and Goliath, we usually just look at one battle, a little boy against a giant of a man. But the truth is, if you look at this story, a little closer look will reveal that there's actually at least three battles that lead up to the big battle. And honestly, as I look at these three battles, they're very similar to a lot of the battles that we will face in fighting the big giant challenges in our lives. And the first one is the battle against fear. The battle against fear. The Israelites, everybody around David is just paralyzed because the fear of this one guy, Goliath. 
Look at verse 4. It says, A champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. And he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze. It weighed 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. And this detailed description goes on and on and on to the point in verse 11 it says, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And to that I say, of course they are. Because all they're doing is focusing on the problem. They are transfixed on all the details of this problem. It's all they can see. You, just, you, you picture them sitting around the fire at night going, how, how, how tall do you think that guy is? How, how much do you think that spear weighs? You can see them putting their heads on the pillow at night wondering, man, if I had to go against that guy, I, I mean, did you see how big his, 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 his shield is? And, and, and did you see what's his helmet made of? I think it was bronze. And they're just focused on the big, scary problem that's in front of them. And the truth is that we do the same thing. We spend a lot of time tempted to just focus on the problems that we have. Hours and days stewing, ruminating. Watching the market trends, hoping that we can, you know, uh, time things just right. Studying our competitors, hoping that we can, we can grab an advantage because of what we found out about them. Worrying about what might happen to our kids. Worrying about what might happen if we fail or, or what, what happens, what people will think of us. We, we're transfixed. And every time we do that, every time we're focused only on the problem, we are losing the battle against fear. Now David doesn't do this. He's new on the scene been sent by his father father to bring some lunch to his brothers and he says in verse 26 he says who is this uncircumcised philistine and all the israelites could have leaned in and said well let me tell you about his sword and let me tell you about his shield and let me tell you what he weighs and let me tell you how tall he is i can tell you everything about him and david's like who is this guy that he should defy the armies of the living god you see the the, the israelite people were out in the battlefield studying the problem while David had been out in the shepherd fields focused on God. He'd literally been out there underneath the stars writing songs about the goodness and greatness of God. Have you ever heard of the book of the Bible called Psalms? And so many of those psalms are composed by this little shepherd boy, David, who is just transfixed and focused on the goodness and the greatness of God. So that when he sees Goliath, his perspective is completely different. And he says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin? You can almost hear him go, eh. <laughs> I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. And some of you, some of you are so tempted to be focused on the problem and to walk around with this heavy weight all the time, can't sleep at night, anxiety ridden. And I have good news for you today. You don't have to live that way. You have a God that is mighty. You have a God who is able you have a God who is powerful, and what's even more is he loves you. He cares about you, 
And he cares about what is stressing you out. And so stop focusing so much on, oh my goodness, um, how are we going to make ends meet? Focus on the God who says in Philippians 4.19 that I will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Stop focusing so much about the future. Well, what will happen? I'm so scared. I don't know what's going to happen. Do we even have any hope? And start focusing on the God who says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Focus on God, not the problem so much. Don't focus on, oh my goodness, do I have what it takes? Do I have the skills? I don't know if I can pull this off. And focus on the God and who, who would give us Philippians 4.1.3 that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You win the battle against fear by shifting your focus from the problem to the person of God. So that your prayer is no longer, oh God. Look how big my problem is. But hey, problem, (laughs) look how big my God is. Right? David wins the battle against fear. But there's a second battle. Look at this. Verse 28. When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And David has to fight the battle against criticism. You see it? And for many of you, as you fight the big, gigantic, giant challenge in your life, you will have to fight the battle against critics in your life as well. Look what David does in verse 29. It says, now what have I done? Can't I, even, can't I even speak? And then this is it. This is so good. He then turned away to someone else. That is golden. That is golden right there. David could have wasted all kinds of time and energy engaging with his brother Eliab, but there's one thing that he knew, that this isn't the story of David and Eliab. This is the story of David and Goliath. He's got a big challenge to face over here, and so he cannot waste time, and he cannot waste energy engaging with a bunch of critics. Right? Listen, I want you to understand this. When someone criticizes you, criticism comes in one of two categories. It's either accurate or inaccurate. Right? Don't worry about how angry they were when they delivered it to you. Don't worry if they gave you a little bit accurate and a whole lot of inaccurate. Don't worry about whether they yelled. Don't worry about anything. There's just, when someone criticizes you, there's only two categories. And you just sit back and you go, is that inaccurate or or is it accurate? If it's accurate, then fix what needs to be fixed and move on. And if it's inaccurate, then do what David did and just turn away to someone else. And move on because you have got bigger fish to fry. You have got a big challenge ahead of you. You don't need to waste time and energy on the critics. You know, Ray Johnson was here. uh, Right before I got here, he was the interim pastor here. And one of my favorite stories that he tells is when he was out at a diner one night. And he's kind of listening in. Of course, everybody in the place is kind of listening in because this little boy uh, was saying the prayer at another table. And he was saying it really loud. Dear God, dear God, thank you for this food. And thank you even more if mom gets us ice cream tonight. 
with liberty and justice for all, amen, is how he ended the prayer. And everybody in the place is just caught off guard with how cute this kid is, and they're kind of smiling, except for this woman over here who's just just kind of beside herself. This is not the way you pray. This is not. She's like visibly upset to the point that she's just, and the boy's like, well, did I do it wrong? And the woman said, well, you don't, you don't pray to God for ice cream. You don't end your prayers like that. And the boy just starts like this. And Ray just can't handle it anymore. He gets up and kind of puts himself in between the, old, the woman and the boy and says, I know God, and I happen to know that he loved your prayer. And, and you know what? Ice cream, somebody ought to get that, her ice cream because a little ice cream is good for your soul. Good job, buddy. And he went back and he sat down. And then he called the server over and he said, I want you to go back and I want you to make the biggest bowl of ice cream you can back there and deliver it as soon as you can to that boy. And a few minutes went by and the server came out and put this big bowl of ice cream in front of the boy. And he took it and his eyes looked real big and his, his mouth got real smiley. And he immediately did, just didn't even skip a beat. And he picked up the bowl of ice cream and took it over and put it in front of the woman. And he said, a little ice cream is good for the soul. Here, my soul's good already. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Do not be sidetracked by the critics. You got bigger fish to fry, so don't let them waste your time. Battle against fear, the battle against criticism, and then what I'm going to call the battle against conformity. King Saul, here's what's going on, and he tells David, if if you're going to go out against Saul, okay, um, but here's what I, you you go ahead and take my armor, you take my sword, you take all my stuff because I'm the king and I got the best weapons, I got the best strategy. You, you, you go out with my stuff. But look what David says. He says, I cannot go out in these because I am not used to them. Uh, so he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream and he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. You know, I think it would have been real easy for David to say, you know, Saul, Saul knows more than me. He's been doing this a lot longer than me. He's got a lot more experience than me. And so I should probably just use, utilize his strategy. I should just do it his way. But David fights the battle to conform. In fact, like all the Israelites kind of looked like Saul. They all had the sword and the shield and the, 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 the breastplate. They all had those things. And I'm sure David felt a real pressure to conform to the way everybody else was fighting the battle. But David doesn't do that. David says, no, God's given me a way to fight. I've been preparing for years for this. David, David was a slinger. <laughs> And do you know, do you know that slingers, the Benjamites were slingers, and in, uh, I think it's Judges, talks about how the Benjamites could sling from both hands. They were ambidextrous. Isn't that amazing? I give my right arm to be ambidextrous. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, but they would do that. Experts say that, that they could um, kill their opponent, they could kill a man at 400 yards. They were so good. Um, experts say that uh, from about 40 or 50 yards out, they've done tests and they believe 
that a slinger could have the same stopping, a slinger's stone could have the same stopping power as a 44 Magnum. Isn't that crazy? This is not your backyard little slingshot. This is like a three-foot piece of leather, and they got, a little, they got like a golf ball-sized stone in there, and they're just, I mean, they're just like, and they let it fly. And this is what David was used to. And he's got to fight against the, 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 the temptation to say, I'm going to do it like everybody else. And, and I think that's what we have to do as well. I think there are times when you're getting ready to fight the big challenge or in the process of fighting the big battle, there are going to be times when you're tempted to not fight God's way, but to conform to the way everybody around you is pressuring you to fight. So say, hey, hey, listen, you're going to have to shade the details of that report, pal, because we have to make this sale. You feel the pressure to conform. It's um, the pressure that the teenagers, that young people have when they come to their parents and they say, well, I want to do this, I want to do that. And the parents go, no, I don't think that's the right thing to do. And you remember what the kids say? What do they all say? Well, everybody's doing it, right? And I have seen men and women who are fighting for their marriage and probably well-meaning friends come along and offer advice like, hey, hey, you've got to live your truth. To which I think God would say, no, 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 you ought to live my truth. Or somebody would come along and say, hey, you've got to do what's right for you because that's what the world would say. You've got to do what's right for you. And God would say, no, no, you've you got to do what's right. Period. Or somebody would say, hey, you know what, you got to do what makes you happy. And God might say, no, you, gotta, you, you should do what makes you holy. And don't succumb to the temptation to conform to what other people do. Rachel and I were at a conference uh, in Lake Geneva yesterday, and somebody handed us this, um, th- th- this quote, and it says, the opposite of courage is not cowardice, it is conformity. Even a dead fish can go with the flow. Isn't that good? Let's fight the battles the way God is calling us to fight the battles. His strategy is always going to be better than anybody else's strategy. So Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to fight with the weapons that God would give us. And in Ephesians 6, that God would say that the Bible is actually like a sword. He compares the Bible to a sword. So when we are fighting, I think the The sword ought to be one of our greatest strategies. Now, if you were back in David's day and you were an Israelite, your sword was a big deal. And you would study that sword. You'd know every inch of that sword. If there was any weak spots in that sword, you would know that sword. And every day you would get up and you would train with that sword so that you knew how to fight with that sword. And that's what I think we ought to do. I love what Pastor Craig Groeschel says. He's got daily affirmations from Scripture. That he gets up every day and reads through these daily affirmations because he knows that every day he walks out of his house, he's walking out into a significant battle. And he wants to train daily with his sword. And so, I thought that we could end our message today with a little training exercise, if that's okay with you. 
I would love to ask you at all of our campuses, in the room as well, would you stand with me? It's hard to train sitting down. Would you stand with me? And I'd ask you to just close your eyes. At all of our campuses, just close your eyes. And I would like to ask you to prayerfully ask the Lord to show you what is the greatest challenge you are facing in this season of your life. Some of you will have no problem identifying what it is. It is what you lay awake at night thinking about. It is what is causing a tear to well up in your eyes this morning. Others of you will take some moments to prayerfully consider what is the greatest challenge that I face? What is the most significant battle that God would have me training for today? And now I would ask you to lift your eyes and allow me to speak these affirmations over you. You can imagine them as stones of truth being put into your sling. You can imagine them as sharpening your sword. But in Ephesians 1.18, it says, I am strong and mighty. I have the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in me. For those who are in Christ, Ephesians 1.7 says, I am not my past. I am not what I did. I am who God says I am. He says I am forgiven. Galatians 5, he says I am redeemed. He says I am free. 1 Corinthians 2, 16 says, I have the mind of Christ directing my thoughts. I have the word of God guiding my steps. John 14, worry is not my master. (laughs) I trust in God. His peace guards my heart, guards my mind, and guards my soul in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy says, My God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And Hebrews 13 says, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Colossians 1 says, I am not a slave to my habits. I am not a prisoner to an addiction. I have been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's light. These are God's truths for you as you fight your battles. Ephesians 2 says, I am empowered. I am chosen. I am called. I am a masterpiece of God created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for me to do. Romans 8.31 says, my God is for me, my God is with me, no weapon formed against me shall stand, will prosper. Romans 8.38 says, nothing can separate me from God's love, not death, not demons, not the present nor the past. No power on earth will ever separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Romans 8 says, I am not what I have or by my identity is not is in Christ and Christ alone. Second Corinthians, by God's power, I can change. First Peter 5, I cast my cares on God because he cares for me. And Ephesians 3 says, my confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. Because his spirit lives within me, 
I can do everything he calls me to do. David won the battle against fear. And David won the battle against criticism. And David won the battle against conformity. And then he took a stone and he put it in his sling. And the Bible says that he ran to meet Goliath. He ran to meet Goliath and he swung and he swung and he swung and he let that stone go and he hit Goliath right in between the eyes and Goliath fell down in defeat. David defeated his giant and you can too. Amen.